Here at Westridge Church, our sole purpose and desire is to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for deciding to join us in worship through one of our messages. We pray this message will be supplemental to your daily commitment to Jesus. To find out more about Westridge Church or to connect with us, check us out at westridge.com. Get your Bibles, if you would, if you have one, whether it's paper or electronic or whatever that looks like, and uh, let's get to Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you remember last November, uh, on this actual very Sunday, we started an experiment, and it was an experiment that was based around a question. The question was just very simple, what if? What if? And I told you that every great movement, every great, great um, invention, every great discovery began with the question, what if? Sometime in the late 1800s, two brothers who lived in Dayton, Ohio, uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, kind of threw out a question. What if we could fly? Back in uh, 1961, in May of 1961, John F. Kennedy uh, stood before Congress and asked the question, what if we could send a man to the moon? And On August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Capitol building in our nation's capital, and he addressed a crowd of over 250,000, and he just simply said, what if we as a nation truly lived out the desires of our founding fathers that every race in this nation be treated equal? And I remember in November 1995 when Amy and I were just married for a few years and and we were up real late one night and I looked over and I said, Amy, what would you think about starting a church? What if we started a church? And she said something like, I think that makes my my stomach turn. But um, we we threw that out there and said, what if? What if if Westridge created a movement of generosity that would shock the world and put God on display? That's the question I threw to you last year. What if we created a movement of generosity that actually shocked the world and put God on display. Ken Blanchard describes um, generosity this way. He says, it's not about doing the minimum. It's about every day looking for opportunities to do the unexpected. And I told you that we wanted to start a two-year generosity experiment that would help us as a church to expand our impact, to expand our reach, and to expand our care. And I told you that we would be dispersing monies, over and above monies, over this uh, past year to four different areas. One would be ministry, the other would be outreach, and then we'd be paying down 20% more of our building debt, and then 10% would go into contingency. And contingency just means if God lays something outside the box on our hearts, we would have the ability to just meet that need. Um, Jamie Lynn was standing here a a few moments ago, and you know that her husband was shot... um, back in the spring in, in, at UPS over here in, in Kennesaw. And, and out of contingency, we were able to buy them a couch that, that her husband could, could sit in comfortably so that they could enjoy spending time together. And honestly, we're, we're capturing one of the coolest stories I think we've ever been part of. And we're going to show it to you in December, and that's going to be coming out of contingency. But I challenged you to step out in faith and not only to give a one-time offering, um, on the, thank, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we called it our hope offering. But I asked you if you would make a two-year commitment to this experiment. 
And God moved in your hearts, and as a church, which I just knew, like I knew you would, you came through with flying colors. And quite honestly, when we came into this particular Sunday of last year, uh, we were sucking wind financially. And I challenged you, and you stepped up to the plate, and here's what's happened. I said, what would it look like if we gave over $12 million over the next few years, and we just blew people away with generosity? And so over the last year... uh, and this started actually on the, on the Sunday of Thanksgiving, um, we're almost at the $6 million mark, 5.48. We're going to hit that on Thanksgiving. We'll probably hit it before. We might hit it this morning. Um, and as a result, with a lot, a lot of prayer, we just started blessing our own ministries. We started blessing our global partners. We started blessing our church planners. And we started looking at out, some of our outside partnerships and just saying, how could we bless them in greater ways? And let me give you just a few of the highlights. We were able to invest over $38,000 into our students and, and kid camp, Rush and Surge, um, not only to make those camps happen because they weren't in our budget last year, but to actually scholarship a bunch of students and to help our leaders to be able to afford to go. We were able to put over $133,000 back into our ministry budgets here at Westridge so that we could just minister to our children and our students and, and to you. We paid down an additional $145,000 in building debt. We were able to provide full funding for Hope for Christmas, and, and we ministered to nearly 14,000 people on one day last year in December. We were able to invest over $3,000 into Kaya, which is a local ministry that we've not only helped to start, but we support it to help cover the cost of, of a summer lunch program for underprivileged kids in our area. We invested additional funding into Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They're one of our ministries that we support monthly, but we, we said, what, would it, what if we could help a bunch of our local football players to be able to go to um, FCA football camp? And as a result, we had a chance to see hundreds of those football players come to Christ this past summer. We provided a, for funding for a facility for a ministry that we helped start called Love Beyond Walls. It's a ministry based out of College Park over by the airport that we helped to start to minister to the homeless and less fortunate in downtown Atlanta. We invested over $36,000 into several of our church plants to help them with construction projects and outreach events and to help cover some budget deficits. One of our church planning couples, uh, Damien and Zarek Boyd, who you've met, uh, who minister to the five college, uh, African-American college uh, communities in the downtown Atlanta area. As you know, they have a handicapped child uh, who's bound to, a wheel, bound to a wheelchair, and we were able to build them a handicapped bathroom facility on the first floor of their house. We invested $50,000 into a ministry called Blue Sky, which, which provides a one-week um, just vacation retreat for children with pediatric, pediatric cancer, and so that they're, not only them, but their families could go away. And, and not only did we pour that money into it, but many of you went on that and just blessed those families. We gave several thousand dollars to a ministry called World Help to help support Christian refugees who were fleeing Syria and, and Iraq. We, gath, we gathered several of our global partners from all over the world in, Afri- or in, in Europe and, and blessed them with a, a week of rest and, and re- relaxation. We were able to provide funds to help meet the physical needs of refugees fam- refugee families living in an area known as the Flags in Nicaragua. It's where our students go every spring break. And, and we were able to pour some additional monies to, to bless this community that basically lives in a trash dump. We were able to make a two-year commitment to help support 
35 church planting catalysts. And I'm not talking about guys that just go plant a church. They, they're creating a church planting movement in a little communist country off the coast of Florida. And I won't name it, but you know what, what I'm talking about. We provided funding for a, church, uh, to be, for a church and a house to be built in a little village that we are currently supporting in Guatemala called Guaycan del Paso. We actually have 13 of our people there right now ministering to that church this morning. And we said yes. We said yes to, to more families than ever before in this past year who have walked through the, the front doors of our church on a Monday through Thursday and just said, we need help. We need help with an electric bill, a gas payment, with just food. We were able to say yes in, in, in terms of over $40,000 this past year. But Westridge Church, I want you to know, I have just been blown away by your faithfulness. Your, your commitment to the vision of our church and your generosity, I mean, just absolutely blows me away. You've allowed us to put God on display in ways that we've never been able to do before, and it's changing people's lives, not just in Burkina, but here as well. Last week, I told you, uh, since January 1st this past year, we've, we've seen 491 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in one of our services. We had four last Sunday, and so now it's 495. I didn't do really well in math, but I can add that up. 139 of those people trusted Christ over the last eight weeks in our beginning to uh, end series on just creation and prophecy. We've had 445 people visit Westridge for the first time since July 1st. And honestly, it's been one of the most enjoyable years of ministry I have ever experienced. This past year, I've been reminded of what God can do through one life, through one small group, through one church, when we respond by faith to the, just the simple question, what if? But I've also been reminded of how truly blessed we are as a church. I mean, I, I am blessed as a pastor to be able to stand before you and just to be able to share these amazing stories with you. I mean, what a blessing it's been to, for us to, to be able to celebrate life change like we can as a church. We're, we're blessed as a people. We've been blessed to, in my opinion, to live in the greatest country the world has ever seen. You know, I'm from Michigan. I've lived in five different states, but I'm just going to tell you, we live in the best state in the whole country. And uh, we actually live in the best part of the best state in the whole country. And we've been blessed uh, because of some of you veterans. We've been blessed to be able to come here on any given Sunday and have uh, the opportunity to, to freely worship God openly. Every single person in this building, I, I want you to know you have been blessed by God. We've been blessed with life. Most of us have, have families that, that love us. Most of us have been blessed with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with, with the knowledge of knowing that, that we're going to spend eternity in heaven one day. We, we've been blessed to have his Holy Spirit's presence with us at this very moment in this church. And when you see a video like the one you just watched, you realize that most of us have been blessed with good health. We've been blessed with material possessions. We've been blessed with, with talents. We've been blessed with enough resources to be able to provide for our family. And because of that, I believe that God is calling us to finish this experiment in a strong fashion and actually to take it to a whole nother level. Here's the truth. Scripture calls every single one of us in this building to grow in generosity so that we can continue to put God on display. And we've been called to be a blessing to the world around us, to look for opportunities to where God is already at work so that we can join him in what he's already doing. But I want you to know that the challenge to, to, to bless others has been present since God first began to, to, to build his people. In the book of Genesis, God comes to a man by the name of Abraham and he tells him that he's going to bless him and that, his, that this blessing is going to serve as a blessing to others for generations to come. 
Let's pick up the story in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes three promises to Abraham in this point. He says, First of all, I'm going to bless you by making you into a great nation. Number two, I'll bless you by making your name great, and I will use you to be a blessing to other people. Number three, through you, all of the families on earth will be blessed. Now, the first promise was a blessing for his descendants. Abram, as you know, was the biological father of two very significant sons, one by the name of Ishmael, whose descendants became the people of Arab descent, and the other... Uh, Isaac, whose descendants became the people of Jewish descent. And he told uh, Isaac later on in Genesis chapter 15 that the children of Isaac's line, the Jewish descendants, would actually be given all of the land from the Nile River in Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates River, which currently flows through Iraq and areas of Syria. And I think that's very relevant uh, to what's going on in the news today. If you think about it, Israel actually only occupies a very small fraction of the land that God promised them. Then he promised them that he would bless them personally. He tells this childless man that he's going to give him a son who will give him generations of children that will be as many as the stars if you were able to count them. And he also tells them that anyone who comes against these people, they'd be punished. And yet those who sided with him would be blessed. And if you look throughout history, you can see that God has kept his word on that promise. Then he makes him a spiritual promise, and this is where you and I come in. God tells Abraham that the whole world would be blessed because of Abraham. He says, one day, Abraham, one of your descendants will make it possible for the whole world to know God's blessing. You may be wondering, how in the world could that be? Well, Abraham had a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob had actually 12 sons. One of them was named Judah. And if you keep going through this, you run into a guy by the name of King David. And if you keep going to, through his line, you eventually run into a young carpenter by the name of Joseph who had a wife named Mary who gave birth to a son named Jesus. And that's in Matthew chapter 1. If you look in Luke chapter 3, you find Mary's genealogy. Guess who it traces back to? Well, it goes from Adam, and then we get to Abraham, and then you go to Isaac, and you go to Jacob, and then it goes all the way to Mary, and it lands at who? Jesus. God blessed Abraham to start a nation for what purpose? To give us a Messiah named Jesus. Well, okay, if this promise was made to the Jewish people, how in the world do we fit into this? Well, in Romans chapter 11, it tells us that we're like branches. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, you're a branch. And the Bible tells us we were grafted into God's plan to bring salvation to all of mankind. We just, as you know, we've come out of a series on creation and end times prophecy. And the promises that were made to Abraham were prophetic promises. And all three of them have come through, have come true. And we see through all of that that God has a plan. Not only that, but God controls the course of history and God is also faithful to every promise that he's ever made to us. Now, Abraham could have said no to God, but he chose to believe God and follow him. And as a result, God used this man to build the nation, the nation of Israel, and he used this nation to be a vehicle by which he could send his son Jesus into the world. And as you know, that son sacrificed and gave his life for our sins. And as a result, God made a new covenant with the world, which means that anyone 
Anyone who chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus to become their Savior would also become the children of blessing. In other words, guess what? We have become part of the story. And as his children of blessing, we benefit from all of the promises that are found in this book. We're at peace with God. When we receive Christ into our lives to be our Savior, we've been, we've been made at peace with God. In other words, condemnation and judgment for sin, which was, was actually reserved for us, was actually poured out on Jesus on the cross. We've been pardoned from the penalty of sin. Jesus took our guilt and shame to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He actually purchased our freedom and, and, and we've been pardoned as a result. He promised his presence. He promised his protection. He promised that he would give every one of us a purpose for life. And I want you to know that God created every single one of you with a purpose. You were promised a future home in heaven. I mean, that's our hope. He also promises to provide for our needs. And as we partner with him and what he what he's doing to take care of the least of these, to advance his kingdom through church planting and through evangelism all over the world. He takes care of us. Why? So that we can continue to partner with him. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the promises that God has already fulfilled in his book. But I want to talk for just a moment about what, what is it that we actually learn from this story of Abraham? Well, first of all, I want you to know that like Abraham, God has a plan for us to be part of this story. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and he's talking about generosity. Here's what he says in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And the scriptures say that they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Now here's what, here's what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. He says, when you give generously to my kingdom, I will take care of yours. I'll take care of your kingdom. And not only will I take care of your kingdom, but I will give you more so that you will be able to invest more into mine. In other words, keep sowing, keep investing generously, and God will continue to allow you to reap generously. Now listen, I cannot think of a bank, I cannot think of a money market account or a 401k account that promises that kind of return on investment. Back in 2003, um, I was sitting in a conference in a church in California and God spoke to my heart about the church that Westridge was going to become. We were just a five-year-old church at the time and, and God just clearly spoke to my heart that this church would not just be another big building in the area of Atlanta. We were going to be a church that was going to be focused on expanding God's kingdom through church planting, through investing in transforming our community. In other words, we were going to be looking for the things, for the problems in our community, not just here in Northwest Atlanta, but in downtown Atlanta. And asking the question, how can we engage in that so that it truly makes a difference, so that it changes that? And that we would also be evangelizing the world. God was going to use this church to bless others. What an amazing privilege it has been for us to be that church. We get to partner with God 
to be a blessing to others. God has actually called Westridge Church to overwhelm people with generosity. Matter of fact, this past week I told our staff and elders that, that I wanted to add the word generosity to be the eighth value of our church. I want Westridge Church to be known as the most generous church, not just here in Northwest Atlanta, but in the whole country. I want to continue to shock the world with generosity so that we can put God's glory on display all over the world. However, to be brutally honest, we can't be generous as a church unless you continue to be generous in your giving. You say, how do I do that? Well, again, we have been personally invited into God's kingdom advancement plan. And the promise that God makes to all of us is this. If you invest in my kingdom, I will invest back into yours. And many of you took that challenge this past year. And you look at that and you go, what an amazing plan. But I want to tell you, here's what you need to be aware of. And some of you have found this to be true. When you join God's plan, it's going to involve some setbacks and some distractions. Some of you discovered this this past year in your what-if commitment. On the Sunday before Thanksgiving, you, you came and you brought your card and you said, here's what I'm going to be investing in the next two years. And you gave a, a, a one-time offering on our Hope Offering Sunday. And immediately you discovered a setback. Some of you lost a job. Some of you all of a sudden got hit with a bill that you didn't expect. Can I tell you something? When you, got, when you join God's plan, you're going to probably experience a setback. You may experience a distraction. Abraham experienced the same stuff as well. When he made a commitment to God to, 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 to move his family forward, he experienced a distraction. Look at verse 4. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, verse 4 tells us that when Abraham leaves Ur and he begins to, he begins to travel. However, do you remember what, back to what God told him in verse 1? He said, Abraham, listen, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your household. I want you to leave your people. And I want you to go to the land that I will show you. But what did Abraham do? Well, he left his home country, but he didn't completely obey God's uh, directions. Instead, instead of leaving everyone behind except for his wife, Sarah, we see that his father came along, his nephew, Lot, who was going to cause him some problems, came along, and possibly other family members joined the caravan. And also, as you can see, he didn't go all the way to the land of Canaan like God told him to. He stopped in a place called Haran. Instead of going to where God told him to go, Abraham stopped about halfway. He went to this little country, little, little village, whatever, called Haran, where he settled and, just, and his family just kind of just set up shop. Now, he didn't just stop for like a, a drink of water or, you know, to water the camels or to give the donkeys and horses a drink. No, he stopped for 15 years. God told Abraham to go a, to a place that he would show him, a place called Canaan. But instead, he stopped halfway in a place called Haran. You say, what's the problem? Well, it wasn't where God called him to go. I believe he left, when he left uh, Ur, his, his, his home country, spelled U-R, I, I believe he had full intentions to follow God all the way. But he encountered a setback. He encountered some distractions that caused him to stop halfway. I've been a pastor now for over 26 years, and, and there's been so many things that I've learned along the way. And one of the things that I've learned is that following God's plan fully is full of distractions. The walk of faith is scattered and with wonderful people who, who stop short of God's plan for their life uh, somewhere, probably halfway. They got distracted and somewhere on the road, they just, they just kind of came to a standstill. But here's the other thing that I've learned. 
I've also learned that God does not give up on the people that he calls. I felt called to ministry when I was in ninth grade, 1979. I was in a camp in northern Michigan in the wintertime. I remember our youth pastor speaking. I remember coming forward and getting down on my knees and saying, as a ninth grader, I'm going to give my life to ministry. And from that point on, through high school, especially when I got into college, I was just hammered with distractions and setbacks on the journey. I remember in in college, I mean, the only reason I I, I actually have a degree in radio, television, broadcasting, I wanted to be on ESPN. And here I'm standing in front of you. Listen, I'll be honest with you, the only way that I can explain the fact that I'm standing in front of you this morning is the fact that God never gave up on me. The entire time that I was going from here and there in college, it was like God was just right behind me the whole time. And there are many times I just want to go, God, leave me alone. I have a plan. God said, no, I have a better plan. And somewhere in October 1987, I was sitting at the church that I was attending, and a guy by the name of John MacArthur was speaking out of Isaiah chapter 6, and, and Isaiah's calling, and I finally said, God, I'm done. I'm, uh, you've been chasing me this whole time, and you, obviously you're not giving up on me. And I came forward, got down on my knees, and I said, okay, God, here, let's go. And that's the only way I can explain the fact that I'm standing in front of you this morning, because God never gave up on me. He never stopped chasing me. I wonder how many of you this morning can identify with what I'm talking about. One of the promises that I held on to through all of that was Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. It says, I am sure that the good work that God began in you will continue until he completes it on the day when Jesus Christ comes back. That means regardless of what setback or distraction you're facing on your journey with Christ, God will never give up on you. He's not done working in your life. And you may be here this morning facing a heartache or facing some pain or facing some tough consequences from maybe a bad decision that you made, but God does not give up on his children. In Genesis chapter 12, we see Abraham finally leaves Haran. He's had some setbacks. He's had some, he's had some distraction, but God never gave up on him. And even though now he's 75 years old and it's 15 years from when God first called him to leave, we see Abraham finally setting off to follow God all the way, to claim the promises that God had made to him. Another thing that we learn from the life of Abraham is that when you join in God's plan, it always requires faith. In spite of the setbacks, verse 5 tells us that Abraham followed God all the way to his destination. But you need to know, listen, I mean, to go, to be traveling during that time, to have to face people groups that were coming against him and to go someplace that he had never been before, it just took a lot of faith. I mean, think about the situation that Abraham was in. When he started off, he had no clue where he was going. He'd never been to Canaan before. And God had also told him he was going to make a great nation out of him. But how could that be? Because Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 tells us that Sarah, his wife, was barren. In other words, she could not have children. And here he was, 75 years old, and she can't have children. But yet, in Genesis 12, 4, It says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Now, what were the results of his faith? Well, if you look in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is God's hall of faith, we see the story. In verse 11, it says this, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. Now, ladies, how old was Sarah when she gave birth to Isaac? She was about 91 years old. 
How old was Abraham when this whole thing happened? About 100. I mean, think about that for a moment. But here's what you need to learn. God blessed Abraham because of his faith. Listen, maybe one of the most important things I'm going to say all morning is this. Joining God's plan requires faith. And faith requires two things. It it requires sacrifice and it requires obedience. God told Abraham, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. Listen, anytime that God calls you to follow him, it's going to require an act of faith. And faith is going to require sacrifice and obedience. Maybe God is calling you this morning to be part of our what if experiment. You've come to this church in this past year and you've listened to all these things that we've been able to accomplish through God's strength in this past year. And you've watched that video and you're like, I want to join in on this. But you're saying to yourself, how in the, I don't know how I could do that. You know what? It's going to take a step of faith. You may have to readjust some things, which is going to take some sacrifice and some obedience. In Abraham's case, sacrifice and obedience meant separating himself from his past and everything that brought him security. Leave your country, Abraham. Leave your family. Leave your people. And Abraham followed God by faith because God had made a promise to him. In Genesis 12, he said, I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. He did that. He said, I will bless you by making your name great. I mean, we're still talking about him this morning. And he said, I'm going to use you to, to be a blessing to others. And then he said, through, through you, all of the families on earth will be, be, be blessed. And again, God came through on all three promises. Listen, I believe that God is calling all of us, every single one of us in this church this morning, to continue this journey of audacious generosity. And I want you to know something. This church is 17 plus years old. We've only just begun. We've only just begun to shock the world with what God has called us to do as a church. God has blessed this church. Why? To be a blessing to other people. But if you take the challenge, and if we continue to take the challenge, I promise you, there's going to be some setbacks. There's going to be some some distractions. We've already encountered some of them. It's going to require some faith. And faith always requires sacrifice and obedience. But God blesses people who are willing to trust him and step out on faith. When you choose to invest in his kingdom plan, he promises to invest back into your kingdom. Why? So you can buy a bigger house, buy a boat. I mean, you may get some of that, but listen, more than anything, it is to be a blessing to others. It's so you can invest back into his. And then he'll invest back into yours. Why? So you can invest back into his. We as a church, we have been called to be a blessing. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. I want to challenge some of you this morning. If you jumped in with us this past year and you've maybe encountered some setbacks or, or some distractions along the way, trust God by faith and jump back in. Jump back in. Say, God, I don't know if I can do this. It's a faith step. It's going re- to require you to take a step, maybe it'll make you uncomfortable. You made a commitment last year, but it's been a struggle. Jump back in. For some of you that maybe you've joined us in this past year and you want to be part of all of this, Paul's going to tell you in just a moment how you can jump in with us. Are you going to face some challenges? Probably. Is it going to take faith? Absolutely. Is it going to take some sacrifice and obedience? You know it. But just think of what we get to do together as a church. This little church out in the middle of nowhere, Dallas, Georgia, gets an opportunity 
to not only bless our area, to bless our city, to bless our state, to bless our nation, but we get a chance to bless the world. And I honestly believe with all my heart that that's why God put Westridge Church on, this, on the map. Now I want to tell you about something else. For some of you, I mentioned a moment ago that 495 people have trusted Christ since January 1. For some of you, that's the step that God wants you to take, to join him, to become one of those that say yes to Jesus Christ. What's it going to take for you to come to Christ as your Savior? Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take faith. But I want to tell you about the sacrifice and obedience. I want you to know that God did something for you that you couldn't do on your own. He sacrificed his son. And then in Philippians chapter 2, it says Jesus became obedient. He came to earth and he went on the cross for you. Faith requires sacrifice and it requires obedience. God, did a sac- God made a sacrifice you couldn't make. Jesus became obedient when you couldn't. I want us this morning for all of us to bow our heads. As I just listen and to all that God's done with this church over the past year, I'm just challenged more than ever that our greatest days are not only ahead, but we've been called to take on some things that are going to blow our minds. But it's going to take some faith on the part of this church. It's going to take us all joining in together. It's going to take us asking the question over and over, what if, what if, what if? But one of the most significant things that we get to be part of every single Sunday is the opportunity to extend salvation to people. People who, some of you, maybe you've never heard the message of Jesus Christ and how God set this whole thing up through Abraham so that you, this morning, could be part of that story. Coming to Christ takes faith. God did something for you that you could never do on your own. He sacrificed his son to pay for your sins. Jesus became obedient. He came to earth as God's son to sacrifice his life so that things could be made right between you and God. You say, how do I do that this morning? How, how can I become part of this story? How can I become one of God's children a blessing? You say yes to Jesus. He came, he died on a cross for your sins. He did something that you could never do on your own. He pardoned you. He provided an opportunity for things to be made right between you and God provided a forgiveness that you could never earn and this morning he offers that to you as a free gift you say I don't deserve that I don't either, it's grace it's a grace that's almost too hard to get your arms around but if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ I want to offer you God's free gift of salvation an opportunity for things to be made right to be forgiven to be put on the right track for things for you and God to come back together once again. If that's you, I want you to pray with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, at this moment, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you. There's nothing I could do to earn salvation. Lord, I changed my mind about the direction I was going. And I say yes to Christ. And I realize that what Jesus did for me was enough. Can't earn it can't work for it. It has nothing to do with my background, where I live, my family. It's all Jesus. And so I say with these lips, Jesus, you are the Son of God. 
And I receive this morning your free gift of salvation because I want to be part of your family. The head's still bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, as you were walking through the door, you were handed a card. It's an opportunity for you to take notes, but also an opportunity for you to communicate to us that you made a decision this morning. We want you to take that card. If you just prayed that prayer, we want you to take that card, take it out to the Connection Center so that we can help you to take your next step in following Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, not only today, but what you've done over this past year, what you've done over the last 17 plus years, and what you're going to do in the future. Thanks for letting us be part of your story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.